Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the 307 RPG Podcast. I'm Patrick. I'm Nolan. I'm Zach. Gentlemen, we have a, a very special show today as we are joined by Simon and Victor from Walking Away from Arcadia, a Changeling podcast. As our listeners know, we've been talking about changing the dreaming uh, for the last, well, actually, I guess we only had one week where we talked about it. We were going to talk about it last week, but there was so much that came out from D&D Live that we needed to talk about that, and that took the entire episode. So now we're back to, to talking about changing, and I thought, what better way to wrap up our month of changing than bring in two people who know this game way better than we do and let them explain changing to us. Simon, Victor, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having us. This is great. Yeah, thanks for having us on to talk about our beautiful frustrations. I, I you know, I think you can say that about most World of Darkness games, but I, just listening to, to the two of you, I think changing maybe takes the cake. I don't know. You could say that about most gamers and games. And, and I will continue to defend the point that we do it from a place of love, and we're not just a bunch of complainers. I can't prove that, but I, I'm willing to agree with that. That's that's where I like to think I come from with Changeling. I don't know if everyone who listens to us agrees, but that's what we aim for. I play World of Warcraft, so yeah. It's, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I played World of Warcraft for years. It was daily farming quests in Panda that finally broke me. I just couldn't anymore. You're lucky. You're lucky. Some of us uh, torture ourselves for much longer. I keep coming back and then going away and then coming back and uh, yeah, it's frustrating. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about changing the dreaming. And and first off, I want to I want to start out by letting the both of you introduce yourself and tell us about your show. Okay. Well, I'm Simon Asharnshin, and walking away from Arcadia was Victor's horrible brainchild, but it was it's almost done now, and we're very happy about that. But it was a really great opportunity to dig into what we liked about Changeling the Dreaming. Yeah, so, I mean, Walking Away from Arcadia really has three parts. Uh, there was what we loosely call the first season, which is when we were doing two episodes a month, and it was just kind of a walkthrough of what is this game all about. The first, I'd say especially four or five episodes, are very, what is Changeling? Why would you play it? What's great about it? What's kind of weird about it, but at a, a very high level? And then we just sort of dug in on individual topics. There's an episode on the anime. There's an episode on all of the main kith. And then we would do kind of side episodes like one exploring queer themes in Changeling. Because there are a lot of queer people that wrote for that game. And there are creators that will admit they kind of snuck themes in. There's a lot written about that online. So we did an episode on that. And then we kind of got to a point where... We had burned out a little bit, and so we took a half break, and then you get into season two, which is a lot of us releasing some things on the Storyteller's Vault, talking about that, reviewing other books from the Storyteller's Vault. I think during that period, we did some reviews and interviews related to the beta slice and alpha slice of the By Night Studios Changeling, because it was happening at the time, even though we weren't releasing as regularly. And then Simon... The third season was really Simon's brainchild, where he wanted to dig in and do this deep walkthrough of the canon, because we'd never really talked about the story of Changeling in a lot of detail. It was like individual concepts. So that's what's wrapping up now. Um, we're back to twice a month, and that'll run through December. We have it all recorded and sort of stocked away. Simon just finished editing the last actual play which is also part of this season. It was an actual play from a storyteller's vault 
product that he released about science fiction changelings. If, if we have time for that, we can get into it. But that is a whole different what would happen if kind of situation. So, yeah, by the time we're done, we will have talked about the entire history of the Fae and the world of darkness, which is a, a strange and many branched thing. Obviously, like I said, we've been talking about changing and trying to wrap our heads around it. Of of the three of us, I'm the only one who's ever had the chance to play it, and that was many years ago. And, and so I think the first question we should ask is, what is Changeling? Aside from an RPG, what is Changeling? And how does it fit in the world of darkness? Uh, you want to take that, Simon? Maybe we can each have a have a pass at it. Yeah, you, you can you can jump in on everything you hate about what I said. So dreaming is sort of World of Darkness's animism product more than anything else. Like everybody thinks werewolf is about animism, but dreaming takes the question of what could happen if everything was alive in the world of darkness. So like there's a pretty basic low-level power that lets you interrogate objects, animals, people you can't speak their language, things like that, which almost requires they have some kind of cognizance. And Dreaming's whole shtick is that you are playing a mythological, maybe, creature that has had to deal with the the degeneration of the world of darkness by hiding itself inside something, usually a human being, but not always, and how you navigate that dual nature kind of thing. Because um, the power traits in Dreaming really are metaphors for a couple of things, but on the most basic level, um, they're metaphors for your own capacity for wonder on one hand, your capacity for horrific trauma on the other hand, and then on the third hand, your capacity for deadening yourself and others. And that's kind of everything in as few words as possible. The the other thing about Changeling, it, it's hard to kind of answer the two questions you asked. What is Changeling and how does it fit in the world of darkness without acknowledging that Changeling is kind of two games? And one of them fits really nicely in the world of darkness and one of them really does not. So there's the game that's written on its surface. You just pick up the book and you read the surface and you don't stop and think like, oh, what does that mean? And that's kind of a fun urban fantasy questing in my neighborhood kind of game. And uh, that game really doesn't fit that well in the rest of the world of darkness. I don't tend to like to play that game that much, although it is very popular. There are a lot of Changeling fans that want to play Changeling for the urban fantasy. And it, it is fun. I have played in sessions where that's the focus. It's entertaining. It just doesn't really feel like a World of Darkness game. Then there's the other game where you do ask those questions and you say, what does this banality thing really mean? And you start reading the source books, which anyone who's listened to Walking Away from Arcadia knows the source books vary in quality and consistency a lot. But... The one thing I will say for them pretty much across the board is they get to the horror of the game a lot better than the core book usually does. Now, if you have the 20th anniversary core book, it hits the horror notes better than the previous core books because it's huge. It has the space to. The problem with the first and second edition core book is core books just weren't that big back then. And to tell all of the important things like what are the groups? What's the politics? What's the backstory? What are the rules? How do you make a character? Oh, look, I'm out of space. I didn't get around to this really complicated psychological 
watching the best part of me die as I realize the best part of me is actually toxic. What do I do with that? There's just not space to explore that in that tiny book. But a lot of the core books really do explore that. Some of them, you know, better than others. Uh, the Shadow Court book was kind of awkward and all over the place and parts of it don't make any sense, but it has this really beautiful opening fiction that has like my favorite example of, oh, no, that's really juicy. What are they going to do with that? This idea that as the world gets more banal, the Fae need to become more and more and more banal to navigate it and survive it, then it didn't go anywhere. So like there are these little things scattered all over the place. And then you'll get books like the first book of houses, where one of the houses, Ilaned, just goes whole hog into, oh, that's what the horror is. Like, that's what destroying ourselves really means. And so you have to kind of search for the World of Darkness game. For me, where Changeling fits in the World of Darkness is you have this pitch about wonder, about preserving wonder, about surviving. And where it fits in the World of Darkness is all the other games are really accessible horror. In Vampire, you get the Zamishi and the body horror. You get incredible hyperviolence in Werewolf. Wraith is just traditional accessible horror from top to bottom. Mage is a little like Changeling. You have to go searching for it. But still, the technocracy is pretty horrific. You don't have to search that hard. In Changeling, though, what ends up happening is, say I'm playing a red cap is kind of my easiest example, although the source with all Changelings. I'm a red cat. I'm a story. That story is amoral. All the other games in the world of darkness have some moral alignment. I'm a vampire. I'm horrible. I'm fighting against it. There is a moral opinion. The red cap just consumes because it exists and that's its story. There's literally zero morality involved. But then we're going to put that inside of a human. And the human has to have morality. They have to interact with people. They have to connect. And there's this thing that's wonderful, and I'm going to ignore and push away everything that kills me until when I love. And that's banality. And you have this whole game conditioning you that banality is bad. And, and there's like this really great, quiet, existential. Slowly, the thing you're in love with, and finally the moment when you're undone, realizing maybe it ought to die. And you may or may not be right, but like that's where you get to when you're finally undone. To me, like that, the world of darkness needs that. I just wish you didn't have to dig in the text so hard to get to it. It's it's interesting that you mentioned that because <clears throat> as we were kind of giving our first thoughts of Changeling, Nolan, you had brought up the sadness that you felt as you were reading the book. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? Um, I think it was just one of the things that stands out to the fact that, you know, some of them just don't wake up. And I guess that was kind of a an awkward situation from a, it would be weird to watch that. Like you can't interact, you can't do that. And you're just waiting on this person, you know, whether it's, you know, was family or a loved one or something like that, you know, like your best friend and you just stare at this sack of meat waiting for your friend to awaken is just like, I don't know. There's something about that that was just so subtly painful um, that I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, and then just that fear, I can understand that longing for it's one thing to, you know, die and have a belief system and know you're going someplace else is another thing to what if I don't wake up? I mean, it's, you know, that that's a I can see the lust for wanting to stay. And uh, I, I thought those were kind of something that if I was going to play, those would be the things that you could just really be a good Eeyore type situation. Like, you know, it's just, it's, oh, here we go again. Like, oh, God. 
you know, so I don't know. I, I, I like that. And it was kind of an interesting take of, again, and maybe, you know, some of the stuff is just how I was feeling that day too, that I could take with me, you know, cause that may not be something that's scary every day, but on a sad rainy day or whatever, you're just like, yeah, this is, that's somebody I used to know. You know so. so let's dive into the game because I think there's, there's enough of us just glossing over some themes and stuff that, that, that people can kind of get an idea, but I want to get into like the root of the game itself. There were some terms that were thrown around, uh, banality. Let's, let's talk about banality a little bit. And then I also want to get into like, what is a changeling's powers? Like in vampire, we have disciplines and, you know, um, in werewolf, we have gifts. What is it that a changeling can do and, and why or how are they able to fuel that? And how does banality affect that ability? Do you want to go first, Victor? Yeah. So I guess first, what is it to be a changeling? So kind of start there. You know, Simon mentioned that changeling starts with the idea that everything is a little bit alive. When you play a changeling, you are a fairy. So in the mythic age, you were huge and godlike and possibly worshipped. And then there are a lot of little bits that kind of allude to the Catholic Church's propaganda campaign against fairies, where you get colonialism entirely in Europe, basically. And then they were reduced and made small. And that reduction largely corresponds to what the game calls the Sundering. Anyone who's played Werewolf will recognize that term. It is the same event. The games sometimes have slightly different opinions about timeline, because it's the world of darkness and we love unreliable narrator here, but basically the same event. And so then you were still powerful, you were still a fairy, but then the world really broke when the shattering happened, around the time of the rise of the Order of Reason, coincidentally enough. And then... If you were a fairy and you stayed in the world, you would just die. You would be destroyed. And so banality. Banality is that force, that force of disbelief. That's what it originally was, especially when you get to Changeling 20th. And of all the World of Darkness games, I would say Changeling changed the most between the editions. First edition Changeling was very much banality is lack of belief. It's going to a dull job, it's not having any light or wonder or life, you know, in you, it's science, it's the modern world, it's technology, that was first edition. And I mean, that works well enough for a really simple reading. But over time, a lot of people went, wait, but science is wondrous, science is creation, science is change. And the event that brought changelings back to the world was man landing on the moon. And so making science banal, that's been a big question mark since the original core book dropped. Everyone's like, what? Um, and so when you get forward into the 20th edition, they said, okay, banality is definitely disbelief. I don't believe in magic. That's always going to be banal. But beyond that, let's make banality a little more relative. So banality for one changeling might be wonder and glamour and the, the, the thing they use to fuel their powers to another it's basically anything that's incompatible with your story, because every fairy is tied to a story. Redcaps are the story of consumption. She are the story of the noble right to rule. Do what you want with that. And, you know, a revolutionary changeling might be incredibly banal to a she. A feudal despot would be incredibly banal to a revolutionary free thinking changeling in the way 20th edition looks at it. 
But then certain things like disbelief are always going to unmake the Fae. And it's the idea that you need the world to want to tell a story that includes you. You need the world to tell a story where you have somewhere to be seen. And anything that pushes the world away from that is banal. And anything that promotes the creation of a world that is more in tune with your story is glamorous. And glamour is what changelings use to fuel their powers. I'll go ahead and pass over to Simon. I'm sure he will have thoughts on what I just said, but then he can also, he also knows a lot about some of the corners of power in the game, like Dark Ages Fae, which is also kind of part of Changeling. He may or may not speak to what the Fae can do has changed a lot over time. Yeah, so picking up where you dropped, Changeling also has one of the most easily accessible feeding dynamics in the world of darkness because it's almost a lift of vampire rather than eating humans unless you're a red cap you can you're an emotional vampire you eat the thing that inspires your story out of someone else and there are two basic ways to do that and you use this power to fuel your entire existence like not just your cantrips which are your powers but also you end up using it to keep yourself alive sometimes. And so the two basic ways to get glamour are you find a human being who potentially is compatible with your whole, your story resonance. So somebody who you can easily get into the mode that you exist in. And then say you are a she and your whole shtick is, you know, I'm in charge and I'm going to do what's best for you because I know what's best for you. And you can get into feeding on somebody either by encouraging them to behave in ways that are compatible with your story. So you can reverie them, which is the the narrative presents it as the benign one, um, but you're basically inspiring them to be more like you, and you're teaching them how to exist in your mode. So for that she, you might be encouraging somebody's potential to be a leader, which could be benign, but if you're a tyrant and you're teaching them how to be a leader, you're going to be destroying some of their life. And then the evil <laughs> way to feed is you run up to somebody and they have some spark of whatever it is you like in them and you force feed them a ton of banality and force out whatever glamorous spark existed in them and you just go, yeah, that was great. I needed that. Bye, you not quite living thing. And so that's, that's where you get it from. And then you, the most common way to use it is to power your cantrips, which use a slightly complicated two-tier system of arts and realms. And you do, you get a bonus for performing a bunk. And the bunk is sort of like your practice as a mage. Like you do a thing and that makes the thing you're trying to have happen slide into reality a little bit easier. But Changeling also has a slightly tortured history with the bunks. <laughs> and C20 does a better version of them, I think, than the earlier versions did, because it tries to emphasize in a way the earlier versions didn't, that your bunk is the way magic works in your story. 
So rather than I'm going to moon the Jumbotron and draw attention to myself and therefore magic's easier for reasons I don't understand, what you're doing is you're acting in your mode to make this thing happen logically to you anyway. So, you know, if you if you're a slua and you're like the creepy witch archetype, what you're going to do is, you know, show up at somebody's birthday party and curse them. Or if you're a troll and your whole shtick is I am going to honorably uphold my oaths and my oath happens to be bodyguarding this person, you know, you're going to basically power all of your cantrips by acting like a tank. Yeah, and there was one particular story when Simon was talking about, you know, the supposedly good and the supposedly evil forms of harvesting glamour. Um, for the first couple editions, they were much more committed to the reverie is good, ravaging is bad. And they did a really interesting thing in the Changeling Anthology for 20th. There was one particular story that I really, really loved. It was about these two Changeling sisters. And for the first half of the story, one of them is having a very kind of tortured response to what's happening with you know their father their father's died um and her sister is trying to figure out what's going on with her and at the end of it what you discover is their father was abusive incredibly abusive and the one sister they're both changelings the one sister started ravaging the potential for abuse out of their father she ravaged him over and over and over to break him down so he couldn't abuse anymore. But now she hated her own story because she was convinced she had taken that into herself through the glamour she'd stolen from him. And that, to me, both really elegantly undermined that clean division between ravaging and reverie and perfectly encompassed, like, when you just like stumble into the horror and change like, and there's no body horror, there's no viscera, there's nothing to warn you. You just suddenly realize it. And like, it shuts games down. Changeling is the only game where I've had players just like stop being able to respond when I do a thing in a scene. Even Wraith, that's never happened to me. So I, I thought that story really captured that really nicely. It does sound, and I guess that's... Uh it kind of takes away the mindset of good and evil more so of just how you use it. And it's all from a matter of perception and that makes it fun because then you can really, I don't know, doing, doing the wrong thing for the right reasons. Is it wrong? So that's cool. I suddenly yeah. have this vision of, you know, the world of darkness mimics our world, right? It's a mirror image of our world, right? I suddenly have this image of a, she looking back at the 2016 ele election going, Oh, Oh, we fucked up. We fucked that up big time. <laughs> well, some of them would think that. And then right. you have House Balor and Ileal who are just in the back high-fiving each other. And, you know, it's a good day's work because, yeah, Changeling doesn't mess around with their villains. Like, and it's funny because oftentimes they'll be sort of disguised. Like, my favorite, my favorite villains in Changeling were very they had all their rough edges uh rubbed down in c20 i like second edition house leonin they are so just fundamentally awful and unplayable and uh, the, the other thing about changeling um before i jump back and get to arts is a lot of times with changeling it's not a single thing that's terrible like in vampire i'll use the zemisi again 
the Zemisi are terrible and vicissitude is just gut-wrenchingly like grotesque and they're tyrants and it's just very easy to see the horror and in changeling they'll just like put three or four things next to each other and just like step back and you need to figure out that it's awful and house leonin is like that for me so they're the muses and the thing in previous editions that they sort of toned down a lot in C20 is they are cursed to have to constantly rhapsody. So Simon talked about the two common ways to get glamour. There are a couple others. One which is like the super sustainable good person way to get glamour. And one that is just like the worst possible way to extract glamour from the world. And that's rhapsody. And when you rhapsody someone, you find a truly exceptional dreamer and you juice them with glamour you imbue them with some of your glamour so there's an upfront investment cost and they will produce one absolutely perfect piece of work and you can rhapsody as a group because you will get more glamour than one changeling can probably extract you come you know you come and you see this piece of work this masterpiece the height of their existence and you destroy it in front of them and you extract all of the glamour from it and they see you both as their muse. And then you do this thing and you have to overtly crush them. This happens. There's a changeling webcomic out there called Chrysalis with a, a Rhapsody scene in it. It's worth looking up. And you get just grotesque amounts of glamour. But that artist will never create again. Ever. You destroy the human being. They can try to create and they can continue to create things that are technically good. But they will have no them to them they'll have no spark they will get no joy out of it and the vast majority of rhapsody dreamers commit suicide and a handful of them become autumn people which are you know bastions of banality and the, if the leonin don't rhapsody like every week they do not rhapsody they age a year and uh, so they don't have to rhapsody every week because they un they age backwards for like every glamour they get from the rhapsody but in the original rules they had to rhapsody probably three or four dreamers a year to not be completely wiped out and uh, like you you read their whole write-up and it's very shadow court and it, it's very accessible on the surface but another part of changeling is you often play childer like your children and you're in this childlike mentality and i just remember there was this one particular nihilisa frank meme if you know what nihilisa frank is if you don't know what it is look it up it's terrible and it is exactly what the name sounds like but i looked at it and i was just like oh she's a leon and childer and then i started thinking about what that would mean and like what a leon and childer would do to their parents and like the sociopathy of innocence and how they would really be innocent but would absolutely rhapsody all the time and like that made this entirely different thing that had always been there in changeling like that had always been there because every group has childer but it doesn't get spelled out the way it does in the other games. You have to find it. Holy crap, these memes are terrible. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I can absolutely see what you're talking about. But, you know, okay, speaking speaking of that, right? And, and, and going back to what you were saying, Victor, that's horror, though, right? That, that oh, yeah. absolutely is horror. I mean, it's not the horror, like the body horror, the grotesque horror that we're used to with, like, Simisi or or the just brutality of werewolves. But that absolutely is horror. And so, oh, wow. Uh, Zach, we're going to throw it to you because I know you've been kind of quiet over there and I know you've got some I, questions about this. I do. Uh, I have a ton of questions about the mechanics. Actually, how playing the game actually comes about. 
So my first question, I'm going to jump away from kind of like the lore. And I'm going to ask, like, what is like the what's like the primary gameplay loop of playing Changeling? Because, I mean, you play second edition D&D, it's easy. You go to a dungeon, you get gold, you spend the gold on weapons and experience, and then you go back to a dungeon. And games are going away from that. Because I was when I was reading through the book, I like I. I likened playing Changeling. It sounded like being in a rent musical. Like, yeah. How do you could... how do you play the game? Yeah, what's a? I, I guess that was my question too. Of like, you know, hey, we're gonna sit down and we're gonna play this thing, and there's this evil out there. What do what do we do? Like, if I'm gonna sit down and play Changeling, what is what's it? What's the goal? What's the purpose? What's what's the evil? Is there something to punch? Is it just existing? Like, yeah. What what like what does a session kind of look like? I will let Simon take a first stab at this because I've I've gone on for a bit, but I, yeah, I definitely have thought there. So there are like Victor mentioned earlier that there are kind of like two games here. I'd I'd even say there's like three because you get the people who want to play an urban fantasy game and that looks a lot like playing D D. Like you end up in this loop where like you go on an adventure and then you come back and have downtime. Then you go on an adventure and you go out and have and then you come back and have downtime. And that's fine. It's not my thing, but it's fine. And then there are the people who really like uh, cosmic horror, I'm going to say, because there's a place for that in Dreaming, especially in 20th edition with Nightmare, which is your other, other, other power trait, which it can be a bunch of different things. At my table, I use it to reflect when you dip too deep into your own nature and you come back with something that isn't just amoral, but is actually slimy and it's like taking you over kind of a thing. But a lot of people who like the cosmic horror end up playing Nightmare as the Fomorians are out there, they're horrible monsters, they want to unmake reality, and you have to fight them. And if you like the Cthulhu mythos, that'll work for you. And then the other other way to play Changeling is to like mesh all of that together and then have the existential dread just bubbling in the background for a while. Like, you go out on an adventure, and then you come back and you play the downtime. And the downtime involves you dealing with the horrific society that the changelings live in. Because changelings in America, depending on the edition, sometimes the rest of the world too, live in a feudal society where the she make up some really small proportion of the population and control most things. And they're the rulership caste. And they have most of them. You don't have to take it, but most of them will take Sovereign, which is their version of Dominate or Mind. And Sovereign is horrifying. It You can very easily get around anybody using a Dictate on you by taking a point of banality, which makes everything about your life as a Changeling hard. So the, the core, like awfulness of living in changeling society is you end up with these people who can use magic to make you do things that you don't necessarily get the the mercy of being like convinced are things you want to do they're just things you have to do and the core bargain there is do this thing or the thing that makes you enjoy life will die changeling is the game at its best, Changeling is the game of somebody holding a gun to your head and yelling, be happy. So it's not 
a kind of horror that works for everybody. And it's not a kind of horror that can be unrelenting, because that's not fun. But you use the the D&D-ness of Changeling and to provide a counterpoint to this other thing that's going on all the time in the background. And what you end up with is people frantically trying to live their best life because they're really running away from the life they have to live. Yeah, and I would say when you get into that version of the game, probably the most accessible corollary that I would invoke for, I guess, the minute-by-minute play style would be a political vampire game or a political wraith game. Because Changeling's an incredibly political game. The weird thing about Changeling politics, though, is by and large, nobody cares. Which is hard to say. Like, in Vampire, everybody cares. I, like, care so much. I'm doing all of these, like, intrigues. And in Changeling, I do it because it's my story. This goes back to Exalted a little bit. And Exalted was originally written as a, a prequel to Changeling. That was broken. So you can't take it. I never take it as canon prequel, but there are some ideas there that are worthwhile. And there's this concept in Exalted called shaping combat. And the idea that I'm just going to go in and narratively rewrite your story and you're going to rewrite mine and we're going to fight in narrative. The best, most easy sort of example of this is for anyone who's read Preludes and Nocturnes, the fight between Morpheus and I want to say Beelzebub is shaping combat. And uh, there was a description in Graceful Wicked Masks where the fairies would just walk through their freehold and see someone and attack them with shaping combat. And they would do shaping combat for 10 minutes and then walk away and it was fine. And no one was upset about it because that was the nature of their existence. And just like this unnatural, I'm invested, but I'm not dichotomy. And a lot of changeling, if you think, all right, what's a much lower key version of that? I'm going to make you go on this ridiculous, stupid quest because I'm an Arcadian she and I'm bored. And I don't understand or see how it will hurt you because I don't have your story. And so I'm just going to do it. You're a servant. That's your role in my story. Now deal with it. And like, what are the repercussions of that? And, you know, when you play through the politics and think of everything with a slightly sociopathic detachment that you don't see in the other games and like this connection to I, the idea of what things are and perpetuating it. That turns into a lot of like what the non-combat more sort of world of darknessy stuff in the game ends up being like. And then you throw in these mortals who want to tell you, no, get a job, be normal, stop being, why are you like this? You need to care about these things because this is what people care about. And like that's killing you while you're trying to navigate all this other abstract stuff that because you're still honestly, like, mostly think like a human. You have all these impulses that don't make sense. And unraveling all of that is really interesting. And yeah, I mean, it just plays out like a very, very different flavor of a vampire political game. Okay. Keep asking, Zach. Go for it. Yeah, well, that's like, I think that's a lot. It sounds like, and maybe I'm like we talk about before we play D&D, it's like, have a good session zero. I feel like this might be almost 90% session zero, and I mean, and that's kind of the feeling I'm getting. Like, it seems like there's a lot of stuff that maybe you don't discover, but you just, you, it seems like you have to have a better plan than just, I'm going to have a sword and I'm going to smash it. And then somewhere along the lines, my dad's missing or something. Right. So is that kind of the feeling I'm getting, I guess? 
Yeah, the only game I know of that needs Session Zero more than Changeling is Wraith. Like, you need a Session Zero. You need to have everyone... You need to know that one player isn't going to constantly banality trigger another player. And you're going to have little mm. conflicts like that. And that's player story conflict is part of the game. But you kind of need to have a Session Zero to make sure that it's fun conflict and not we're going to kill each other by session three and we're not even going to draw a weapon. I mean, so yeah, there is a lot of that you have to consider. I don't know, Simon, you've had some pretty good session zeros. We've talked about those before. How do you approach building a story for your players? With my games, there are two kinds of them. There's the one-offs where we're just playing a silly urban fantasy game because we want to play something. And then there are the ones that go longer. And those ones really require a session zero for a couple of reasons, like you want to build out that narratively interesting tension between uh, player characters, but you also really, really want to know what your players are not okay with. Because as an emotional vampire, there are lots of different ways to like trick people into feeling the way you want them to feel. And not everybody's comfortable with all kinds of like really shitty manipulation. <laughs> And you end up, especially if you're playing um, a dreaming game that's very political and very based on the later second edition lore, you end up with a lot of potential for sort of taking things away from players just because it's what the setting wants and it's not necessarily mm -hmm. interesting or fun. There's a lot of stuff in late second edition about those in power abusing those who do not have power, which is very thematic and interesting to read and not at all fun to play. So unless you have somebody at your table who's really interested in a story about them you know, losing this weird esoteric game where every time you walk into a room with this person, they take away a little bit of you and put in a little bit more of them, you have to navigate those things very carefully and session zero is really important yeah and i think just to throw out like a couple quick ideas of what would be an idea you could start with so one theme that comes up in changeling a lot is the dreaming doesn't care about fairness at all um the dreaming doesn't care at in the least and so fairies will have made oaths and then they die and they're reborn and those oaths don't go away you also are not reborn with knowledge of whatever the hell it is you promise. And uh, some of those things go all the way back to the mythic age when you were a god. So why am I, why, why do I suddenly like, why am I oath broken? Why am I failing everything? Well, it's because you happen to get too close to this thing you had an oath with that you were bound to protect for all time. Sorry. And so you can start a story with, all right. Maybe you work this out with a player so that they, you know, somebody takes dark fate, for instance, as a flaw. And you say, all right, cool. You are going to have a very, very old oath that you are right on the edge of breaking. And there start to be omens that you're on the edge of breaking it, but you don't know what it is. And the entire story is about figuring out what the hell the oath is. You can actually either fulfill it, fulfill it and be done with it or at least know how to manage it or convince, you know, whoever you have the oath with to release you from it. You could have a whole story that's just about a motley of changelings figuring that out. And maybe it's one changeling, but because of the way they worded their oath to each other when they formed their motley, they're all now bound into that because they didn't realize what they were doing. 
And so that's not going to be, uh, I go off, I quest, I kill a bunch of goblins, and then I kill a bunch of ogres, etc. But there's going to be a lot of investigation, and there's going to be a lot of politics, and oh, am I, do I find out that I'm, like, bound to someone I'm fundamentally opposed to, and I think it's deplorable in the court, you know, and so then that can turn into something else. I did one, it ended up being a short chronicle, but I did one chronicle where I had a pair of siblings that had been born to a partially indigenous Native American family. And one of them crystallized as a she, and one of them crystallized as a Nunyahi. And they each had a personal investment in each other's identity, but like that caused all sorts of problems. And the she did some dramatic renaming, shaping things that caused a lot of trouble for everyone in the city. And the Motley kind of just had to navigate the repercussions of that. So yeah, starting with a concept and making sure everyone can kind of align their characters to it is really important. Zach, feel free to keep asking yeah. technical questions. <laughs> Man, it. I think this is kind of just like an issue with the storyteller system, is that you're kind of supposed to make your own game. Um, yes. I was wondering about your thoughts on the storyteller system itself. My experience with Vampire, my experience is only in Vampire, and it seemed to me that investing one or two points in a specific, like, knowledge or a skill never really seemed to, like, do anything. Because until you had, like, three, until you're rolling three or four dice, you basically had a 50% chance of failure no matter what you did. Well, And so... I think I kind of like dived in and I'm only speaking from my personal experience. I just like poured all my points into a few things. And then I was just like, yeah, if firearms come up, I'm just going to sit in the back. The thing I, and this might just be a table thing, but the thing I really enjoy doing with Changeling specifically is Changeling is a game where failures can be really fun, especially magical failures, but any failure generally. Um, because they're really just the they're the opportunity for a player to be in the spotlight. It's just nothing good is happening. Um, and magical failures are the easy ones because they're super dramatic. But um, the way the changeling power system is built really lends itself to dramatic and wide-reaching consequences <laughs> for failures. But even like you know, you have those two dots in knowledge. And you roll, and I would prefer botch because that's easier. <laughs> but you know, you fail. You don't yeah. necessarily not know a thing. You know the wrong thing. It's just not necessarily harmful if it's not a botch. Yeah, I mean, the other thing that I tend to encourage with my players to kind of get around that dynamic is you're always going to be rolling a, a pair of stats. So say I have two dots in grammar, which is you know, Greymare is the changeling stat for you know about changeling society and changeling mythology, and you know some extra details about when the sheaf fled during the shattering, etc. You have that background. When you roll it, you're going to be rolling it with intelligence or wits. You know, so unless you are just a, a total walking, you know, catastrophe puka, <laughs> you're, you know, you're probably rolling at least four dice. And most of the time, I don't make things too terribly difficult. You know, if someone, you know, I'm a puka, I have two gray mare and two intelligence, and I want to know some detail about the specific traditions of the nobles of the Menahune. Well, your difficulty is nine. You probably don't know that. And it's fine that you fail that. I'm giving you a slim chance because it might be interesting if you know a tidbit. 
But if, okay, I need to know how to act, I'm I'm going into a different changeling court, maybe I'm Celia, I'm going into an unseelie court, it's worth a roll, but it's also not going to be, there's a good chance that you can make this work. I'm only going to make the difficulty six, you've got four dice, you're probably going to succeed still. You know, I, so I think it's really important in the storyteller system for storytellers to not be oppositional, you know, especially in a game that is so about horror and potentially suffering on like an identity level, I am not there to screw my players over. I am there to make it hard enough that success feels great, you know? And so, (laughs) yeah. And like just a general role-playing game thing is like, for me anyway, if failure isn't interesting, don't have them roll. Yeah, I think is a really good point and that's something as the dm of our group i'm going to take to heart yeah and the other thing you know because we danced around this and there was a question about it earlier i think it's worth talking about the powers Mm -hmm. because the only other game in the world of darkness that compares to changeling for power weirdness is mage and the whole idea as i understand it from interviews with the developers is when they got around to changeling they wanted a dynamic magic system they didn't want you to just buy a series of powers they just done wraith wraith has a very distinct discipline like powers and they wanted fairies to feel unexpected and experimental they wanted players to be able to be imaginative but they'd already done the spheres and so just like completely open-ended mix and match for whatever you want that didn't make sense that's what the spheres are and so what they came up with is the arts and the realms and the quick pitch for the arts and the realms is the arts are your individual powers, the equivalent to a discipline, and they'll be specific abilities. So I'll give probably one of the most simple, physical, straightforward powers. First level Wayfair, Hopscotch. I can, depending on the write-up, I can jump an incredible distance is more or less the pitch. But the thing is, It's not really I can jump an incredible distance. It's I can blank an incredible distance because you mix it with the realms. And the realms dictate what can I use my powers on. So Hopscotch will give, like, you roll the dice, and depending on the number of successes, dictates how far blank can jump. So if I use Faye and I use it on myself, I can jump, I don't know, 200 feet. That's great. But I have prop, and I want to hurl that hammer over there across the room at the enemy's head. Cool, I'm going to use prop. That can fly 300 feet. I have actor. I could throw that human over there 300 feet. And I mean, it just, you mix it with the realm. And then you get into really interesting things like scene, where every power in Changeling can be area of effect. Every power. It costs an extra glamour, and glamour is not cheap. And it adds a difficulty. There are ways of dealing with the difficulty. But when you really think about that, like if you have, if you've invested in fifth level scene, which is the the area of effect thing, and fifth level scene is not easy to get. I mean, getting to that, it's the equivalent of getting to fifth level powers in most of the other games. Player accessible, but you're going to spend some time getting there. You can affect something the size of a university campus. So not like the largest university campus you've ever been to, but like an average size university campus. I cast Hopscotch on Florida State. Like 
that's a thing. And you then have to match it with something else. So I cast actor hopscotch on Florida State and throw every single mortal in Florida State into the sky. And they all fall and they all die on impact. That's a thing that is accessible to a player. I had a player just like hurl an entire lake that was the result of a nightmare effect. Was drowning everyone and he seen and nature and he hurled the entire lake off into the distance. It was chimerical, so it was not, there weren't too many repercussions, but there were repercussions. And so, that, and that's like the first level, most simple physical power. But then you can get into things like Sovereign, which is the equivalent of Dominate. And you can dominate a sword to, and this is an example in the book, I can, I can Sovereign this sword to never draw blood from a member of my family by using prop. You know, and so this stuff was really hard to understand in first and second edition because they didn't give great examples. The One of the best things system-wise in C20 is they give a couple off-the-wall examples for every art write-up just to get you thinking about how could I use the realms. The other downside in the previous editions is writing the arts to work with this system is a very disciplined endeavor. You have to be very, very careful about how you write them. And not all the writers were. There are some arts that don't, really work so well with the realm system and especially the arts that are in the c20 core book they they worked really really hard to make them all work with the realm system there are a couple of them where it's not the thing you target they had to change it a little bit to make it work but they found a way to make every power work with the realm system then they brought infusion back in the player's guide and infusion only works with fey and that is what it is but like that idea is kind of what fuels all of the powers. So like the major combat power, where like, oh, I, I have more strength, I have better ability to dodge, etc. You have seen, you can apply that to your entire motley. And that can, that can make a big difference in combat. I mean, it's the only game I can think of with a really explicit buff class build that's, that's valid. Yeah, yeah powers are part of the reason combat doesn't really come to the focus in Changeling very much. Because... No. Even like those are just straight up power uses. You throw unleashing on top of that, where you get to for a hot minute pretend you're the storyteller as long as it sort of fits into your art. And most combats are really easy to resolve if you have some creativity. Mm -hmm. But jumping back just a little bit, um, Victor mm -hmm. mentioned that there's a difference between chimerical effects and real world effects, which we haven't talked about at all. And that's one of the weirder parts of Changeling because there's this whole divide between what is the real world and what is the chimerical world and it's the only world of darkness game where like the umbra sits right inside the real world at all times it's not quite the umbra but it's like that because all changelings exist in this like dual state where you are i am my human body and at the same time i am a six foot tall troll monster thing and they kind of watered that down a little bit in C20, but the divide is still there and it's still relevant because for changelings, if you are affecting only chimerical reality, all of your powers are free. And if you are trying to affect weird reality, the, the real world, then you end up paying extra. And you run into weird problems with like observers and banality and all that, but you still you're still a glass cannon. You can still chuck Lake Michigan at somebody. But th that's also a place where banality fits in, because if you're only affecting chimerical reality, other changelings can still banality their way out of whatever it is you're doing, 
It's just, do they want to? Where if you're affecting the real world, if there are observers, or potentially you're just bad at rolling. <laughs> Banality can still slap you. If you had a new player coming coming to your tables, what would you tell them like to make sure that they actually get to enjoy the game the most? What would they have to put their points into? Would they spread them out so they can do something in every single scene? Or would you tell them, you know, put 10 points into lore because at least then you'll be able to actually know what's going on? Like, what would your advice be? Take remembrance. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I'm not a big fan of min maxing, but I totally agree with Simon. Take remembrance and take Kenning. Um, I, I've I've run so many changeling games where players think, oh, I don't need Kenning. It's fine. You need Kenning. You need to be able to tell when things are happening. So Kenning is the awareness trait. It's not alertness. It's not I notice. It's I can sense the magical changeling things that are happening. The other thing I would encourage is don't min-max your powers because the powers are flexible. Take powers that can be used in a lot of different ways. So take, okay. you know, I would, I'm a big believer that always have something you can do in combat. So if you don't want your powers to be combat-oriented, and this is going to seem very counterintuitive to a lot of role players. So say, I don't want a lot of combat-oriented powers. Cool. Take a good dex score. Take firearms or melee. You can be the knight that goes in and swings and, and does the physical things. That's great. And then all of your points for arts and realms can be about, I control odes. Like, I am a great troll knight, but the troll story is all about odes, so I have to be very good at odes so I don't get trapped in a bad one. Great in combat, because I'm a tank, but I took contracts at level three and I took naming at level two because I spent freebies and I have this variety of realms. And so when the social situation comes up, I'm going to be able to be the noble lord. You know, try to think about as many different settings and give yourself something to do in them. Because depending, you know, if you make a combat character, and I had this happen in that chronicle I mentioned with the she and the Nunihi siblings, I had one player that made a combat character. And then all of the other players went, oh, you're going to throw combat out of this? Well, we're going to chicanery out of this because I don't want to. They did not want to play combat. And he was just left there and he didn't have anything to do. Not because I wasn't putting combat in the game, but they were just finding ways around it, which you can do with really creative use of the arts. So that would be my suggestion to someone making a changeling character. The other thing that really contributes to your ability to make a multipurpose character is to remember that chimerical reality exists. Because, say you're using Victor's example of somebody who takes non-combat powers but has combat skills, you could have a chimerical sword or a gun or whatever, and it won't trip up any real-life consequences for carrying that thing around, because it's not real and nobody can see it, until you invoke the weird, which is a changeling power to make your changeling self manifest in the real world, including all of the chimerical things you're carrying. And... Suddenly, the wimpy little, you know, changeling who can't keep up with the vampires and the werewolves is in a full set of armor made out of silver and is carrying around a bunch of swords made out of, out of daylight or something. It's, it's not really what it's for, but it is really what it's for when you get down to manipulating the system. 
some Green Lantern stuff going on there. If you can dream it, go nuts. Yeah, I mean, eh, pretty much. And yeah, and I would also say with the powers, also as you develop the powers, try to think about things that interact with each other. So I'll, I'll give an example. I mentioned there's a contracts power. Any changeling can enter an oath because oaths are central to the whole fairy story. But there's an entire art about being really good at contracts. And I think it's fourth level lets you um, change it so a casually stated agreement becomes an oath. Otherwise, everyone has to enter it in knowingly. But that whole story about be careful what you say around the fairies, you might be bound to it. Very powerful mm -hmm. fairies can create an oath that way. And so if you have that power, and then there's another power that you'll already have if you have that one, which is if an oath is broken, I can cast an art for free on the person who broke the oath, no matter where they are in the world or the dreaming. And then you happen to have sovereign. And, you know, suddenly the person who just broke the oath is bound to a sovereign statement they didn't even hear. And they have to fulfill it or they start falling apart. And I mean, those are a lot of high level powers. That's more of an NPC sort of situation. But it is the kind of thing that does work with a lot of the powers. You can mix and match them and have them interact with each other. So it's not just a list of powers. You can really think outside the box and how you build them. So we are approaching our, our one hour mark, which is usually where we wrap up the show. And, and, and I know, Simon, you said you had work to do today. So I don't want to keep you both too long. And I suspect knowing how Zach is with questions and, and just knowing how Nolan feels off of questions that we could probably keep going for a couple of hours, which we're going to go ahead and, and put, you know, slow it down a little bit. I do, before we wrap up, I do want to ask, we talked about some modern day uh, or, or even pop culture, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Shows and books and things like that, where you can draw influence to create your games of changing or uh, shows and books and stuff where changing has clearly influenced uh, one of the biggest ones I think of because when I first watched it I was like oh yeah that's that's changing uh, which is Carnival Row uh, Carnival Row just screams changing to me when I first watch it so I'm curious to both of you what, what are some things that people could draw influence from uh, by watching or reading to help them to develop a better changeling game you can go first so the most on the nose thing I can think of is Little Prince Little Prince has fairies and deep quests into the dreaming. It has banality and the horror of the modern world and not wanting to grow up. I think it's it doesn't get into some of the really weird changeling stuff, but I think it's very on the nose. Another one that's very on the nose is Lost Girl. Lost Girl goes a little bit beyond fairy, but you do have the concept of the courts. You have the concept of kind of your old life from before and how it leaks forward. You get a lot of good high quest fodder from Lost Girl. If you want to get into some of the weirder identity stuff, it's not as on the nose with aesthetic, but I actually think Legion taps a lot of the shaping combat and the thing inside me and the do I hate myself and what can I become, even though it's, you know, an X-Men mutant property and it's not a perfect fit. I think it gets into the psychology of dreaming in a lot of cases. Yeah, I I always come back to it, and it, it seems kind of pretentious, but the Bahavad Gita is actually really good, because 
especially if you're playing like a high remembrance, like we have all these echoes coming from our past lives thing going on. The Bhagavad Gita is on point for consequences for things my current incarnation didn't do. The Mabinogian's also good if you're playing a more mythic kind of game. Otherwise, my favorite changeling example is a novel by Charles DeLint, which is pretty on the nose for changeling. But The Onion Girl, which is the story of these two women who each experience the same kind of awful childhood. And one of them grows up to become an artist, and the other one grows up to be an IT person. And the whole story really ends up being, despite all of its mythic elements, the story of a dysfunctional family. The other one I'd throw in is American Gods, especially season one and two. The whole being reshaped by humans' belief in me, being diminished, fighting for the right to exist. A new. I think it gets the technology banality dynamic better because the representations of technology are gods. They are supernatural. They are part of this hidden world. And I think that is a better way to treat it in Changeling. And also you just full on get, you know, Valor and the Tuaha Dadanan in season two, which I appreciate. <laughs> Has season two been released? Oh, yeah. Season two has been out for a while. Season three is out, but I've heard nothing good about it. And I have not watched season three. But seasons one and two, I think, tap it very nicely. Oh, the other one. If you need examples of how to unleash, there's always Star versus the Forces of Evil. <laughs> yes. Okay. That is a very changeling series. Okay. I can see that now. Me, I was going to say, me and my boys just finished watching uh, uh, The Last Troll Hunter, which I thought was funny, just uh, Tales of Arcadia and stuff like that. And I was sitting there and I was like, oh, oh, okay. Because I saw they had recommended Pan's Labyrinth as being kind of a movie reference of dealing with yeah. it. And that was such a heavy horrible beautiful trip <laughs> um but seeing that you know him come into that there and we finished watching that with my boys my boys just loved it and seeing their child side of things and then me enjoying it from an adult standpoint and seeing that it was it was like okay i i could be a six foot tall troll wielding a sword i can i can find a home in this thing i'm, I'm pretty simple dude i want to see yeah. how that messes with my life well, and and talking about, you know, Del Toro, Hellboy 2 is also very, very changeling, especially when you get into the end and you're like, ooh, was the villain a villain? Like, was he wrong at all? That's a very, that's a question that comes up in changeling a lot. Am I the good guy? Are they the villain? Well, it doesn't matter. I'm going to fight them anyway, because this is my story. Yeah. <laughs> if I don't fight them, I might die. Yep. Nolan, Zach, any more questions before we wrap up? Oh, I, a yes, ton, but, no. but yeah, <laughs> well, yes, but actually, no, I don't, I think my questions would be outside of the time limit that, uh, unfortunately real life imposes upon us. So I guess I would just have to, I guess I would just say, is there anything else that you would like to say real quick? I guess the thing I would like to say is I think Changeling is a really fun, fantastic game. Um, it can get a little bit frustrating and complicated if you want a lot of consistency because it just changed a lot through the years and sometimes the books don't know where exactly they fall in that continuum but if you're cool taking the hooks and doing a little bit of building yourself i i love the white space in changeling and i think it is a lot of fun and has a lot of possibility for people that maybe hadn't considered it yeah 
yeah, that that sounds good. <laughs> Changeling can be a really fun game with the right people, and it can be a really soul-killing game with the wrong people, kind of like Vampire. Yeah, that's probably very true. Um, I was going to say, do you do you guys play other games on... I mean, I guess most people do. I know that I had never played Vampire before, and after playing Vampire, so much of my D&D characters now have a Vampire like RP element to it, just that that standpoint. Do you find Changeling... Like, I feel a lot of stuff of Changeling, like, the whole time I'm thinking I could use a lot of this stuff. Like, I, it makes a more interesting character, some of the stuff here that I... Do you take some of this out of the game or can you not take it out of the game i guess do you find it a good way to make bad guys i know you mentioned kind of making some the evil not evil guy you know that kind of thing i mean how does changeling influence the other games changeling definitely influences the way i run mage i've probably run i've actually probably done more mage than anything else i've done a little bit more mage than changeling and i think about the spheres a lot the way I think about the arts. So the thing I would say about the powers in Changeling is a lot of times you're not attacking the enemy, you are manipulating the playing field. And if you tr think about manipulating the playing field and manipulating the story around the enemy so that the enemy can't really engage with that story, that's where most of the power is. And I really like thinking about Archmages and even Masters in Mage as using the spheres that way. And I really pulled a lot of that in from playing Changeling. I would say Changeling has influenced the way I play Vampire a little bit. I, I started with Vampire and then moved into Mage, played a little bit of D&D. And I, I played around with Changeling a little bit early on, but really I came to Changeling a little bit later. Actually, I came to Changeling deeply after I met Simon. He's the one who got me all the way in. So yeah, Changeling has definitely leaked back. And I think it's mostly the the mindset of how you think about what you're capable of doing that's mostly applied to other games. I am a notorious thief, so a lot of like what's in Dreaming that I end up moving into other games are like themes and setting elements. There are very few role-playing games I've played that didn't or DM'd that didn't have a significant like there is this concurrent but not quite on the same level world over here somewhere that has more to do with the emotional value of things rather than the way the physical world works, just because I find that interesting. But Changeling appeals to me because I really like mythology, and role-playing games in general are usually very amenable to inserting mythologies. So it's, it's less what dreaming does and more just the lens, I guess, I use. Very cool. Where can people find your show Walking Away from Arcadia? Well, you can look it up on pretty much any podcast feed. Um, Simon went to town on getting us registered on everything he could. So the URL is walkingawayfromarcadia.podbean.com if you just want to look it up in your browser. But I know it comes up on Google Podcasts and iTunes. I've looked it up in a few other podcast apps that I've tried over the years, and I've never found one that we didn't return on. So there's also a lot of walking away from Arcadia that's on YouTube. I'm going to be catching up on uploading things on YouTube soon. So if that's how you prefer to consume things, that works as well. Can you give us a hint on what's next after December? So December is when our current plan wraps up. So right now we will be going at least on hiatus after December. I don't know. I don't know if we'll come back to it again later. I do have another podcast project I'm starting to work on, but I don't want to announce 
too much about that. Okay. I will say it's related to Wraith. Okay. Like, I don't want to give away too many details because it's still in pretty early planning. I don't know when we'll start dropping things. So Yeah, I think after December, we're both uh, reclaiming our time. <laughs> At okay. least until something interesting happens with White Wolf with regards to Changeling. And prognostication is hard, but I don't think this case is very hard. <laughs> yeah, I, I would really love it if some more Changeling 20th stuff came out, but... You know, I will say shortly before the pandemic started, we were talking about doing an episode that was kind of what's the current state. And I sent out some feelers and asked for feedback. The pandemic dropped and that project fell by the wayside. But the long and the short of the responses I got, you know, from Onyx Path, and they've said this publicly many, many times, you know, we can't comment on anything that isn't greenlit and we need White Wolf to approve any projects, like intentionally as vague as possible, which I don't blame them for. But it speaks to the fact that there's nothing there positioned to announce. And then, you know, when I asked White Wolf, it was, I can almost quote that email. It was a combination of we really depend on our partners at Onyx Path to pitch things, but we really care about Changeling, Demon, Hunter, and all of the lesser groups in the world of darkness. It was all given to me in yeah. a single sentence, which says a lot about the priorities. So... You know, those are the official messages that were shared. You can all read into them how you see fit, but I'm not assuming we're going to see much more for C20 at this point. That's unfortunate. I, was, I will say, if anything does come out, we will almost certainly do episodes about it at that time, but you'd sort of run the gamut at this point. Well, I sure hope so, because I know Walking Away from Arcadia is one of the podcasts that I enjoy, so I'd, I'd like to be able to continue to enjoy that. Well, that is going to be our show for this week. Simon, Victor, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, like I said, Changeling, when I first reached out to both of you, Changeling is one of these that I know Zach and Nolan were new to, and even my limited experience was enough that I felt like we needed to bring somebody on who could, who could speak to it better, and I think you've both done a wonderful job, and we really appreciate you being here today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. That is our show for this week, folks. We hope that you join us next week. We have no idea what we're going to be talking about, but we'll figure something out. So join us next week on the 307 RPG podcast. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Bye. All right, bud. Okay. So, Patrick. I'll talk to you guys a little bit. Yes. Um, I'm going to try and make it to D&D. &D.